again for joining me on Generation 2300. Uh, Anna Morton here as usual. Um, today's subject is going to be where is Israel on the last hour clock? Uh, start with Revelation 19.10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, I quote that because I want to start with an analogy uh, about the last hour clock. Think of the ticks on that clock as Israel. Uh, Jesus Christ as the reason for the clock to exist in the first place, and the result of the purpose of the clock is supposed to produce the restoration of man to God, both Jews and everyone else, by revealing God's plan through Christ. That's why we watch it. Uh, the end of the book of Revelation makes this clear. Uh, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The clock is saying, Come. Time's running out. God wants to restore everyone to the perfection that he intended, and not to judge them. He has to but he wants to save them. Prophecy is about how he has done and will do both through Jesus Christ. I just want us to remember that as we go forward. Um, this post focuses on uh, the fact that we couldn't even read the last hour clock apart from Israel. Um, just like when we learn how to read a clock on the wall, we can learn how to read the direction of the world and what God is doing with it by understanding what he's doing, uh, has done, and will do with Israel. Because um, ever since Abraham, God's been working out his plan for the world through Israel. His promises to the nation are unconditional, uh, which means that he's still working out his plan for the world through Israel. He's still doing it. Like Jeremiah 31 says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So until the sun and the moon stop working, um... <laughs> Israel keeps ticking away on the last hour clock. Um, take this latest clash with Hamas. Now, this particular attack from Hamas, um, you might as well say Iran, isn't precisely foretold by any biblical prophecies, although the spirit of these organizations is. Um, Psalm 83 has been the spirit of Israel's neighbors for decades. Uh, it says, for behold, your enemies will make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, as God, and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. 
um, attacks, all the attacks on Israel, such as the War of Independence in 1948, um, the Yom Kippur War in 1976, the Six Day War in 1967, and the several intifadas that have been launched against Israel in the past few decades, they were motivated by the spirit of cutting them off from being a nation. Psalm 83.4 says distinctly. If you keep reading that passage, um, the historic names of the surrounding Arab countries are there. Edom, Moab, Ammon, Assyria, which are like Jordan and Iraq, and places like that. Um, but this particular attack, although connected, um, it, had, it played on those feelings, that spirit, it wasn't primarily focused uh, or provoked by the sheer existence of Israel. Um, it was more of a political move by Hamas, who control Gaza, um, to gain and or prove their popularity with Palestinian voters. Um, after Mahmoud Abbas, who's part of the Fatah party, which is more of the political arm, canceled their elections several weeks ago when he realized he would lose to Hamas. Um, and notice that this uh, West Bank and Abbas section of the Palestinians, they haven't been firing rockets at Israel. Um, it's been the religious arm of the Palestinians in Gaza where Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood are in control. Uh, the former is focused on the national statehood aspect of the Palestinians, and the other on spreading Islam, which explains their position as a proxy for Iran. Um, so all of that being said, there are prophetic ticks in this latest Middle East action. So uh, let's examine the situation of Israel right now to see what they might be. Um, I have here that Israel, number one, is secure and prosperous. Number two, none of her neighbors are condemning her, at least not strongly like they would have before. Apart from, of course, Iran and Turkey, which we'll get to that later, and are certainly not attacking on behalf of Hamas or the Palestinians. They're not joining in. And neither are any of the important players in the Western world condemning them too strongly. Um, or at least there are a lot of them supporting Israel that wouldn't have in the past. Uh, so let's look at how these could be, these two things could be ticks on the last hour clock. Um, I said number one, Israel is secure and prosperous. Um, Ezekiel describes them before the war of Gog and Magog as a peaceful people who dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gate, with the waste places that are again inhabited, and a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Ezekiel 38. Um, and as the last hour ticks down, the Jews will be back in their land, gathered from the nations, and growing their population, their economy, their stability. Um, and I'll touch on a few ways that Israel is growing in those areas. Um, they're planning a nor new oil pipeline to the Mediterranean 
uh, which could move 1.2 million barrels from Eilat to Ashkelon. I think that's per day. And by the way, all of these, there are a lot of footnotes on the blog post if you'd like to go check that out and look them up um, to articles about these things. Um, they are, the second thing, they're also making deals with countries in the region, like the $10 billion investment of United Arab Emirates in the Israeli economy. I mean, you could never have imagined that a few years ago. Uh, another thing, as of this year, Israel is now in the top 20 economies of the world club at number 19 with uh, $43.7,000 per capita. So they're doing very well economically. Um, they're also innovating on the forefront of many fields, medical, agricultural, scientific, technological, and more. It's amazing the things they've done with, you know, um, irrigation and disease prevention and cures and all that kind of thing. There's an article about that as well. Um, uh, something we've seen lately is that she has Israel as a military that you do not want to mess with. That's very important. The technological capabilities are just, they're just first class. I'm amazed when I watch them. They're precise targeting systems, and then the space age interception of the Iron Dome. There's that amazing photo, you should look it up. It's, you can see the Iron Dome on one side and Hamas rockets on the other side. And it's just, it's just jaw-dropping. Um, another thing, they export worldwide. Um, they're the ninth largest exporter of tropical fruit in the world, and they are the size of New Jersey. Uh, like Ezekiel 36 talks about this, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am with you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is uh, the ceasefire was just begun. But it's begun on Israel's terms. It's a unilateral ceasefire because that gives Israel the power to eradicate any future threats that may even think about arising in Gaza. Um, and Israel is confident and strong enough to tell the world that this is how it's going to be. They're taking charge of their own country. Um, I could go on, but I think you're getting the picture. So, Israel must be in this situation because A, God promised it, obviously. B, they have to be in a position of some prestige and importance in the world to confirm a covenant with the prince that shall come, like it says in Daniel 9.27, which is the Antichrist. And then C, be prosperous enough that Rosh, Persia, and Gomer will come down to plunder its riches. This is a very important tick. So it's certainly taking the right steps to be in that position. Um, an interesting thing about that is some keen observers have pointed out that pointed out that Iran may be testing the waters, seeing how able Israel is to defend itself. Because Israel is surrounded by terror proxies of Iran, like you know, Hamas to the south in Gaza and the Houthis in Yemen from the south. They have rockets that can reach the southern part of Israel. 
um, Hezbollah in Lebanon in the north, um, Shiite militias in Iraq to the east, plus Iran itself building underground silos for missiles that can reach every part of the Middle East than their nuclear bomb. Um, but Iran has obviously decided that now is not the time to attack Israel outright. Not that they told Hamas to attack Israel either. As I mentioned, those rockets were fired to gain support and prestige among Palestinian voters, although much if not all of their weapon supplies, Hamas's, were <clears throat> they came from Iran at one point or another. <clears throat> Sorry. And Hezbollah uh, has distanced itself from any missiles that were fired from within Lebanon's borders. So they're not deciding to attack Israel yet. So I would hazard a guess that Iran will never feel strong enough to attack Israel outright without serious help. And that guess is based on um, the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38, where Persia, the ancient name for Iran, um, is a part of an alliance with Rosh, Gomer, Putz, and Kush. And this event, this attack, is based on one, Israel being there, and two, I would further imply, being so strong that it takes the involvement of a superpower plus several other countries to actually attempt invading. And that's why other countries outside of the alliance won't feel it necessary or perhaps prudent to intervene on Israel's behalf. Um, now, my first thought when I heard of this Hamas conflict with Israel over the past couple of weeks and Israel's unquestionable ability to deal with it swiftly and effectively was, wait, doesn't Israel need to be somewhat militarily weak in order for the alliance of Gog and Magog to be emboldened to attack them? And wouldn't the possible liberal and weaker government that was in the works play into that? Then I started connecting some more dots, and as this post has hopefully so far demonstrated, could see that um, current events weren't actually, they were actually lining up in a more effective way than my snap judgment to proceed. Um, so number two is Israel is not being universally condemned for this conflict by her neighbors or by other governments. Uh, the most significant of non-condemners are Israel's Arab neighbors, um, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, Kuwait, um, and even Saudi Arabia have been unusually silent about this entire issue. Um, some of these countries, plus Egypt, uh, have called for a ceasefire. Um, some have even offered to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, um, which is a much more restrained response than in the past, during past conflicts. Um, another interesting observation is that Turkey has spoken very vehemently against Israel and in support of Hamas. Um, remember they're going to Russia and saying that it was time to teach Israel a lesson. Uh, interesting because 
they're going to be a part of the Ezekiel 38 alliance. But also interesting because they didn't actually do anything, they just complained. Um, actually, the United Arab Emirates even told Hamas that any of their planned infrastructure projects in Gaza are in danger if Hamas continues to attack Israel. So that's quite a strong response in favor of Israel. Uh, looking at uh, some significant supporters from Europe and other parts of the world, um, these have been unequivocal in their support for Israel's right to defend itself, which is more positive than in the past. Um, you can look up Greece, Germany, the Czech Republic, um, Italy, Hungary, Ukraine, Slovenia, Poland, even Japan, Slovakia, and Austria. There are probably more. Um, the last one, Austria, is rather significant because of the JCPOA talks taking place in Vienna. Um, they're raising, they raised an Israeli flag on top of the Chancellor's building. Um, that was something the Iranian ambassador did not appreciate, so he canceled his visit with the Austrian foreign minister, at least until they take the flag down, I assume. Um, actually, the Czech Republic, Slovenia, and Ukraine, they all flew Israeli flags on top of government buildings or just over the city. It's a city, their capital is probably. And then the rest um, either tweeted or officially stated their support of Israel's right to defend itself and condemned the rocket fire from Hamas. Um, just in the last few days, the German, Czech, and Slovakian minister, foreign ministers actually visited Israel to show their support. So, very strong show of support. Not from the UN, of course, but we'll, we won't go there. Um, or the EU. Yeah, well, the US position is slightly more complex, as a lot of you Americans will know. But our government has expressly stated that we support Israel's right to defend themselves. So, it could be worse. Um, so let's sum up here. Um, where do these ticks put Israel on the last hour clock? Well, Israel is quite respected and strong, as she has never been since she became a nation in 1948, and certainly since she was dispersed in the first century. Um, even I, who am relatively young in the matters of an experience of history and world affairs, I remember when Israel seemed to be constantly attacked and in danger of being wiped out by her hostile neighbors. Um, it seems like kind of overnight that she's just soared to prosperity and influence and prestige. Which makes me think that the last few ticks left on the last hour clock are going to fly by. I mean, really. She has, because she's flown pretty high, but she could be a bit more prosperous and influential. Um, it will need to be enough to test the friendship of that last member of Ezekiel, the Ezekiel 38 alliance. The last one to become hostile toward her, which would be Russia because Iran and Turkey are definitely hostile toward Israel already. Um, and Ezekiel 38 describes it. Um, 
Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. This is God talking. Uh, in the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, and against a people gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. So verses 8 through 12. So, based on these verses, at the time of this attack, um, Israel will be brought back from the sword and the nations, gathered from among many people, um, will be a land that has long been desolate and is not any longer, a place where people now dwell in safety, <clears throat> a place of unwalled villages, a peaceful people who they just want peace, trying to keep it, a place filling up with plunderable goods, oil, technology, food, even diamonds. Um, it looks to me like she's nearly ready. Remember, it's laid out in God's plans. So it was always bound to happen. And how exciting to see it happen before our very eyes. It's almost unbelievable. But it's so blaring. It's also a blaring reminder that so many people are running out of time to escape God's judgment that will come on the world um, when the last hour strikes and is over. Christ has done everything so that we can escape that judgment and have that pure, perfect, eternal life with Him, um, to know Him as we were created to do without the hindrance and separation of sin. And all we have to do to get these things is to trust Him, and to trust in Him to keep His promises. Because he always keeps his promises. That's a joy and a warning. Um, um, and except for his first coming to earth to be the Savior, there has never been a time when so many prophecies have been fulfilled as there have been in this generation since 1948. Matthew 24 says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. You also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, is coming at the doors. So don't forget, God wants you to be saved and is still waiting to pour out his judgment. That's why we're talking about this stuff. Because he wants us to know, as I quoted many times in 2 Peter 3, um, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the time is near. 
Like Revelations 1 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. Don't wait. Why wait when it'll be so much harder to believe with all the persecution and deception? Um, so, I'm going to wrap up now. Um, don't forget, you can find me on um, Rumble, uh, MeWe, and Telegram under Generation 2300, and on YouTube under Anna Morton. And then also, you know, we have now have our podcasts, or my podcasts, on, uh, on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and a couple of others. Um, that's it. Thank you for listening, and keep your eye on the clock until next time, or unless the rapture comes first. <laughs>